Welcome back to our next post-show podcast, hosted by yours truly, Claire French. Today I'm at Southwark Playhouse and we're about to begin a panel discussion which is titled Age Diversity Matters and it really aims to bring together some key members in the industry to have a chat about how we can work together to ensure the futures of actors for longer. The session will be chaired by Age of No Retirement co-founder Jonathan Colley and feature Sheena Govan, actor and chair of the North and East Equity Branch of London, Marico Primarolo, writer and facilitator with the Southwark Playhouse Elders Company, and one of our most cherished actors of the Roundelay Ensemble, Annie Furbank. I shall let us begin. Thanks, Claire. Hello, everyone. It's, uh, it's, it's not my comfort space being in the, on, on, on stage in front of an audience. Um, so all credit to the actors who, who, who went before this, uh, this afternoon. It was, uh, it was a very good show, and uh, congratulations. Um, my name is Jonathan Colley. I'm the co-founder of a social enterprise called The Age of No Retirement. Um, essentially, we're a movement for social change. We are backed by the Big Lottery Fund, but we do a lot of work with the third sector, with charities. Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is, is shatter ageist stereotypes and start to embrace community society on an all-age basis, on a zero to 100, uh, looking at breaking down the divides between generations, looking at um, figuring out ways in which we can genuinely work together, uh, we can develop products and services for all ages and start to focus on the commonality of values in people regardless of age. Um, we ran some research last year which proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that age is just a number and age does not define us. Um, and we found through testing life's tensions, whether it's divorce or work or money or time or technology, we found that there's so much that we have in common regardless of age than what divides us. So that's the age of no retirement. So I'm, I'm going to hand over to everybody so that they can introduce themselves to you before we get into the discussion. Um, today we are going to be exploring um, the age diversity in the performing arts in theatre, uh, to what extent ageism exists, to what extent barriers exist, to what extent um, it's, it's a perceived reality, uh, what's being done about it, what can be done about it, and uh, also we want to hear from everybody in the audience. This needs to be a broader discussion, not just the four of us sitting in chairs in the center. So uh, with that, Sheena, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm very nervous this afternoon about this. Um, so my name is Sheena, Sheena Govan. I'm an actor. Um, I trained at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School right back in graduating in 1985. And I've therefore been working in the industry now for, I can't believe this, a staggering 31 years. It just seems like, 80s seemed like the only the other day, but in fact it's not. It's 31 years ago. Um, my hat today is as, a, as an actor, but also as a trade unionist. I'm a member of Equity. I joined the union on graduation at nine, in 1985. Um, when it was then, Equity, as those of you know, it was in a closed shop, and you had to work to get your coveted equity card. I was very lucky I went straight into regional theatre and I got that every regional theatre had two cards a year to hand out to students leaving um, accredited drama schools and I managed to get one from Westcliff Rep. 
This all changed, as you probably know, in the 1980s when Margaret Thatcher had the abolition of trade unions and the clothes shop was then finished, for good or ill, whichever way you want to look at it. And the union now is open to all, which I think is good in one way and not in another in that the industry is so... Um, there are many of us and not as many work. But the fact that the union is open to everybody, that the union is looking after everybody, is a very, very good thing. So I've been an active activist for the last 10 years, and I'm currently the chair of North and East London branch of equity, and looking at every specialism, how we can support our members across the board. One of the questions that Jonathan asked was whether I saw ageism as a big problem, and I think ageism is um, rife in our society, and especially in our industry. Um, and the stereotypes we often see on our screens and our stage bear, bear that out. We didn't see that this afternoon. Thank you. Um, the other question was, am I hopeful? And yes, I am. I am very much hopeful with collaboration, with education, with dialogue and creative thinking. And I'm hugely looking forward to this panel discussion because I think Roundelay is an example of going beyond stereotype. I, I've got two. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, um, I am Marico Primarolo. Um, I've been asked to uh, sit here on the panel today. Thank you very much for, um, because of my work in um, Elko, which is the Southwark Playhouse Over 65's company. Uh, we work uh, to promote all different people's uh, views uh, to be heard on stage. Um, I'd like to mostly look at and discuss today the issue of um, age and the representation of age, uh, but through the sort of guise of looking at the fact that art, I believe, um, both informs our society but also reflects our society. So does the issues around uh, there being less representation of older people issues reflect a bigger problem in our society, and also the role that theatre therefore has to discuss this further with the public. So that's what I'd like to uh, discuss further on in the discussion. Thank you. Hello. Um, I think I'm here. Well, you've just seen the play, I think, so I'm in it. And <laughs> <laughs> and this is Sonia, whose brilliant idea it is to corral all the ancient actors in. England into one small space and let them run away with her play. But they're not ancient, that's the trouble. I think I'm here because I'm the oldest by a long chalk and probably in the building. And can you, can you hear me? Um, I don't really know what to say. I trained and came into the theater a hundred years ago. I mean, really, really a long time ago in the 50s. And those were the glory days when you look back because when you left drama school, I went to RADA and I went to a marvelous school called the Old Vic School, which, which died at the time, so I couldn't keep on at it. But um, you expected to get a job, and indeed I left in my fifth term of a two-year course, and I went straight into rep. Well, rep 
as you surely know, doesn't happen anymore, hardly ever, except as a curiosity. But there, that's where you earned your stripes and you got your equity card after how many weeks? I don't know, Shirley, you probably can... How many? 40, after 40 weeks, if you were still alive, you got your equity card and, the, and then off you went and you got... And I feel... I'm, I feel odd talking about this age thing, and it will probably be more openings for this later in, in the discussion, but... I, I mean, age is what happens, and I don't think there's much you can do about addressing it in a funny way in the theatre, because you can't go up and collar a writer and say, you will write for geriatrics, you will write for older people, because that's not how things go. I feel very lucky, because I've had a lot of very interesting work since I've become older, but I, it sounds silly, but I haven't noticed getting older in that way. I've, I've noticed getting older because my limbs ache and I'm a bit lame and grumpy and all that sort of thing, but in terms of theatre, it's suddenly become a hot, hot topic about old actors not getting work. Well, young actors don't get work. Middle-aged actors don't get work. There's not enough work for too many of us. Some of us are old and still standing, and, and we do get work or not. I feel very ambivalent, and I may not be very useful to this discussion. <laughs> but here I am. Thank you, Annie. Um, I don't know if this is somebody controlling it. I'm sure you can all hear me without the microphone. Oh, we're recording. Oh, you are. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll persevere. Um, just tell me if I'm deafening you. The, uh, just from our perspective at the age of no retirement, um, just reflecting on the demographic shift, that people are living longer, healthier, and this is obviously a generalization, uh, and more productively than ever before. We speak about the extra 10 that people nowadays, on average, benefit from an extra 10 years of healthy living more than their grandparents did. So this extra 10 offers an incredible opportunity. It offers people themselves an incredible opportunity. It offers big employers an incredible opportunity. Um, it offers brands, the, the providers of products and services, an incredible opportunity. Um, so why do organizations still let their staff leave so young? Um, why do pe people still see a black line of retirement uh, beyond which you don't do anything? Uh, and in fact, a, a very interesting research project was done by an architect firm called Hawkins Brown a couple of years ago, in which they, they likened the life stage of the 25-year-old who's leaving university, embarking on the next stage of their life with, with excitement, um, to the 65-year-old who is, might be leaving full-time employment, who now can look to decades of, uh, of, of excitement ahead of them. So it's a very different mindset. Now, given that the shift of the center point of our population is, is, is becoming older, uh, and yet not losing its vitality, and you look at the diversity in our society on an age basis, um, the question I want to pose to the panel um, I hadn't forgotten about you, <laughs> is the storytelling that is so critical to the performing arts, to theatre, do the stories that we see in the theatre reflect 
the diversity of stories in life in general in our communities? Are, is the storytelling in theater a predominantly youthful story? Um, is, is, is that to some extent part of the problem? I'll go first, just because um, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, just before this uh, panel, discussing it with my uh, over 65s group uh, yesterday. Um, a lot of them have been invited to come and see this show. And there are a particular few who were so enthusiastic about this show because I think that they responded to it, to it because they saw themselves in it. And I think that's what makes people love uh, specific shows. You can talk about uh, the representation of women, younger women in different shows, and the need to have younger or, or any women respond to um, art that's out there. And, that, and again, that not being um, as prevalent in theatre because the people who fund the shows and select which shows to get at the moment are still very much uh, white men. Uh, so I think that what people respond to are things that they see um, themselves in. And therefore, as a, as, as, as a industry, we need to uh, let everyone in every aspect of society uh, feel that they're represented. And I think that the enthusiasm from some of the uh, members yesterday about this show um, was very new for them because they'd never seen or, or talked about some of the issues that this show is talking about before. And that's what created their enthusiasm. And I think that's what also highlights, uh, and it also highlights the fact that we, we don't see these sorts of stories being told often. And that's why there was such a big response, is, is what I would say. I don't think these stories are told enough you could, the question was about theatre, wasn't it? About actually seeing whether all ages are represented or ages are that we're seeing society reflected well, it's, and it, seeing society reflected properly. It's more to, to the extent that does age bias exist in, in, in theatre, whether it's through the narrative or it's through the people who are telling the narrative. So it might be the, the writers of, of plays are predominantly young, therefore we get predominantly youthful stories. Yeah. Um, where, is, is there a bias? Is there a lack of age diversity? And wh where do you think it's coming from, if there is? I think most writers write from what they know, and I think most writers that are creating... Uh, that, are, that are writing now... Um, are potentially younger writers, so I think we need to, if you like, encourage our older writers, because our older writers will be writing for their own demographic, but without it being niche, without it being, let's have only, only um, writing for your own tribe. Um, I think we need to encourage our writers, not only in theatre, but also our, encourage our writers in screen as well, to get past stereotypes of what of what age is what age is um, if you're over 45 or in your 50s or 60s then you must be a grandparent um, or what is a grandparent it is what it is writers write stories that interest them that are going to sell that are going to interest other people a lot of those stories inevitably are going to have to do with younger people and the older people 
unless you deliberately put them in the center of, of a thing in order to give them work or represent that lot of people. The stories are going to be about the middle bit of people's life. I think I'm thinking only about new writing, I suppose. Yes. Um, and I'm thinking if, if, if there were more classics that were on again, we're getting there, Annie. Shakespeare wrote a <laughs> hell of a lot of good parts for older people. He did. He did. Yes. Masses and masses of them. The classical writers did do that. Every, every sentence is going to end drifting off <laughs> into the woods. It's awful. I, do, I've thought I about think it's it stage lot. and screen. I think it's seeing, our, it's seeing, it's every part of society, no matter what our gender is, what our age is, what our color is, what our anything is, is seeing ourselves being reflected. And I don't think the, I don't think from 55 up we are reflected properly on screen or stage. What, why do you think that is? Because I think commissioners, I think people higher up, um, I think there's probably targeting of, of youth, there's targeting of people, you know. Um, and I think, I think it can just get a bit lazy. So I think that's what we need to be doing, is, is um, challenging those issues and challenging the stereotypes that we see. This we saw. We saw how many? Eight? Seven? S ten? Ten people all over, yeah, yeah. I, I was, uh, before the show, I was speaking to Ian, is it right? Um, about the, the fact that he started writing. Was it writing at the age of 65? Acting? Acting, yeah. So, so the question is, with the, the popular entry point um, for, for acting um, to be on the younger side, uh, is there, are there sufficient opportunities or avenues or, or entry points for older actors to enter into the industry at a later stage? If they want to, if they're that mad, yes. I don't mean writers, I mean actors are crazy to enter it anyway, but um, if you enter it at a later stage, I know, I can't quote you names because I can't remember them, but I know several people who have have, I only say several, I don't say hundreds or masses, who have come in in their 50s even and, and have, have got work, have got work, they have, but I think that's a bit fluky. I think the marvelous thing, if we come back to this play for a minute, the great thing about this is, and as much as I don't like being ghettoized as anything in this trade, I just want to be an actor, that's me, um, Sonia has approached this subject, and this, this has been her mission to get us all up there, um, twice, three times. She subverts every situation. She doesn't come at it full on. It's very, very clever what she does, so that everybody gets a new look at things. Well, that's, it's very rare that that happens. There is hardly any of it, and I don't see how you can, as I've said, you can't go up to a writer and say, you will write like this, you will write about this. They'll write about what they want to write about, and we are at their mercy in that sense. I don't, I I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person this, for this panel because I don't wave a flag for this. I see what happens and go with it a bit. 
perhaps in, in response to the issue of, of writers being out there, perhaps it's also looking at what shows actually get commissioned, though, because I think um, previously we've been talking about, uh, before, before this discussion, um, funding in the arts and needing to the need to sell tickets more and more and trying to make certain subjects appeal to wider masses which create issues and, and pockets but um, more than that once a writer does get commissioned are they writing about reality or what is a, a stereotype of an older person and one of my group was in a show in 2008 called Love which was at the Hammersmith Lyric um, which was about uh, uh, several different characters in age. Um, on the poster, they had uh, the word love, uh, uh, a picture of it in knitting. And when I was discussing with him uh, ideas about this panel, he said the thing was that no one, none, none of the actors knit. And, um, and, you know, they all saw themselves very much as, you know, they're the baby, baby boomer generation. That, um, and some of these thoughts of what it is to be an older person are, are very old stereotypes of, that they had when, when they were young about their grandparents. And it, they didn't feel it represented them. And if anything, it was quite patronizing. And I think um, looking at um, not only including older actors, but actually the way we include them is, is an important issue, I would say, in, in, in theatre. Um, th there's one more thing that I'd like to explore before we open it up to, to broader discussion, and that is reflecting on th the answer, if an answer is needed. And um, Sonia, and something the Age of No Retirement is focusing on a lot, is, is the intergenerational aspects. And um, ve very notable in, in the play this afternoon was, was the intergenerational relationships. And that's something, Mariko, that you in, in involved in, obviously, and Sheena, you've mentioned as well the importance of, of bringing the generations together. Is this something that is taking place more and more? Is it something we need to see more of, just in, in general, or is, or is it not an issue at all? And in fact, all the ages are always all together in the, in, in the performing arts. Well, you can only hope. You can't say you need. You can say, I hope. It would be lovely if that happened. I have to say that it's completely unique in my experience, and, and not just as an actor, but as seeing stuff. It, it's unique to have a very ancient person in bed twice having sex. I mean, it's quite peculiar. And uh, that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> but it is amazing. It is amazing. I hate the word amazing when applied to older people. It's my great hate, but that is amazing that she has had the imagination to write that. It would be lovely if there was lots of that. Usually we have Alzheimer's or we're grannies yeah. knitting or which we don't and it, it's very unusual. I, I think one should appreciate how unusual that is but you cannot expect it to happen anywhere. You just it's, say it's, hurrah if it, it does. It's unusual on stage, but it happens every day. It's, and this is and it happens talking in about books much yeah. more, too. In <laughs> books it happens when you're safely reading it. Yeah. Um, I think in response to intergenerational projects, I think that sort of goes back to what I was saying about art also reflecting public attitudes and how I think there is a greater issue in our society as a whole over how we... 
uh, treat older people um, in terms of, I think there's a lot of, of not wanting to look at things because it's difficult. Uh, there's a campaign at the moment uh, headed by Kerry Mulligan about Alzheimer's. And again, our views of Alzheimer's, because at the moment it's almost seen as a, a very common thing, almost an inevitability, and it's not treated as an actual disease that we can fight. It's almost seen as almost a, a comical uh, inevitability. And it's these attitudes that if we discuss them more and um, find the reality of them, uh, we can sort of work to combat that. And I think if we worked to have more intergenerational uh, discussions, plays, uh, communities, um, I think a lot of these things will be, will be seen to. I, I think there's a lot about age that I, I, I don't know about uh, and things that working with the Elko company, I've learned which I think are really interesting. Uh, one of the projects we did was we made a show about all of the issues everyone on the cast wanted to talk about. One of them was a really simple one, which was about public toilets and how um, in a few decades ago, you'd get very many public toilets everywhere. And now they've all been sold off and made into coffee shops and things like that, which means that a lot of the company feel like they're not able to travel places because they worry about um, not having an ability to go to, to the bathroom on the way, and they've come across different issues like that. And it's not something that has never occurred to me, but through um, positions like this, we can sort of talk about and actually realize our issues for a certain member of society. And um, once we talk about them, things can, can begin to change, I think. I want to, I, th I think, broaden the conversation and start to f maybe explore wh what it is that other people are feeling, experiencing, and also what can be done and what we can potentially do in order to create a, a, a much richer, more diverse intergenerational approach. Just listening to the conversation, I just wonder whether it, it's um, a cultural thing because, you see, in my tradition, in the African tradition and in the Caribbean tradition, all of the stories are passed down from the elders and we hear the stories from the elders and the elders are, rever are revered and seen as the wise ones. So we get those stories all of the time. So we don't have, uh, and we know that they're a source of experience and wealth and, um, and are to be treasured. Um, and I don't know whether or not that's the experience here in the Western kind of like culture that they're seen of, you know, reverence or importance. Whereas in my tradition, they do. Um, all of the stories I know, I, I, I'm an actor because of my uncles, my grandparents, when they come over, that m melody, the richness of that. I know all of that because of them. Um, and I'm taught to respect them. So I wonder whether or not um, that is... Um, part of the problem as well and also with um, families having to you know disperse they can't be together they have to come to big cities to work you know the younger children are getting um, the experience with their grandparents because they're somewhere and their parents are somewhere else or they're splitting um, and that could be you know something that they don't see every day so if they're not seeing it every day not experiencing it every day they're not going to write about it or talk about it or hold it dear 
with regards to the, the cultural side of things, you're absolutely right. And, and a lot of the, the learnings that we're, we're finding with, with regards to this uh, intergenerational societal approach, uh, we're getting amazing stories from all around the world. And, it's, and it is incredible what you can learn from other cultures, and it's very important to do so. Oh, good. Well, you've almost said what I was going to suggest. I think that's wonderful hearing about a different culture and what we've lost in our culture. Um, I was just wondering if we could have forums, I mean, maybe through an organization like Equity, where we can come together, it wouldn't necessarily cost money, where we talk and we tell stories across the generations. I mean, my experience in going up for, quite, for commercials in the last few years a lot is that I will go up for the part of granny. We will start at the age of women there in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I wonder what they want, um, or, you know, perhaps they don't know. And it's, it's, it's if, and I'm not going to throw aspersions, but it's as if the casting directors are very young and don't know what they want and don't see people beyond, say, the age of 50, perhaps because they haven't got the experience, there's only one grandparent around or something. So we're all lumped in together from the age 50 to 90. Is that your experience too? And that needs to be broken down, I think, to say, you know, from 50 almost, from 40 onwards, women do go through more cycles in their life, more changes. Every decade is different beyond 40 and 50. And I think, to take up your point, the only way we can do this is to share stories and talk rather than try and get playwrights to write. I mean, that is a very intensive and, and costly thing to do, isn't it? But if we talk and share our stories, initially in the profession and beyond, maybe that would help. Thank you. To a large extent, it, it's, it's the stereotypes that we're up against because um, particularly the uh, media marketing ad sector, it is run by young people. Average age is, I think, 30 or, or below. Um, and in their mind are, are all the generational stereotypes and then they, they recruit and they create stories and narratives to match those stereotypes and their misperception of reality. And the reality now is, is the, the linear life model of, of, of study, get a job, get married, have kids, retire, die is gone. Um, and you're as likely to have a, a kid in your 20s as you are in your 40s for the first time. You can be grandparent of 45 or 85 for the first time. You can reinvent yourself career-wise every decade or every 20 years. So we need to start telling that diversity of story that reflects the full spectrum of life rather than the stereotypes that drive much of society at the moment. Thank you. I'm Ian. I went to drama school at age 65. And one of the glories of that was that I auditioned at six drama schools. And not one of those schools said, what on earth do you think you're doing, you stupid old fool? Um, it, it's a tremendously welcoming industry. And I'm delighted to, to be part of it. And someone's even paid me to act recently. So that's very good. I think there's, a, I think there's an enormous opportunity because we, the baby boomers, we've got all the money, we've won. Um, and there's a huge, huge wall of money in our generation. Um, I think one of the things about uh, the way um, arts are, are funded um, is, is clearly, um, in a sense, it's fading, although we do have um, the Arts Council, which 
for all its faults, is a, is a, is a glorious institution. Um, but I do think that there are different ways of, of finding private funding rather than just going around with a begging bowl, and that's something that I'm, I'm very interested in. The second thing is that I think the um, Emily Watson did an interesting interview in the Financial Times uh, a few weeks ago where she said she was really interested to find new roles that showed women in all their complexity, their messiness, their intensity, um, and getting away, absolutely getting away from the knitting and, and slippers roles. Um, and I think one can demand of playwrights, one can demand of writers um, that here we have, first of all, the cultural um, models, but also in our own culture, we've got Theresa May, we've got Angela Merkel, we've got Marine Le Pen, uh, we almost had Hillary Clinton. We've, a lot of, of women are gradually taking up these major roles which are the substance of Shakespearean drama. They are the substance of Greek classical drama. And I think that, I mean, I, I write a bit as well as act, and I think it's our um, fascination to reflect that. So I think there's an enormous opportunity to make new work that isn't about age, but that reflects, as you were saying, Jonathan, right at the beginning, that there is no age of retirement anymore. I think it's very, very exciting. I just wanted to um, just keep taking up on what you are saying about what Equity is doing and Equity's Forum, that two of the things that have been launched this year of um, challenging what's happening with stereotypes, especially on screen, more than on stage, I think, um, has been two initiatives. One has been the Casting Working Party, where uh, whole different groups within the union are meeting with casting directors, agents, literary writers, producers, commissioners, to actually challenge the sort of lazy, lazy casting that goes on where the script is for a judge and they automatically employ wonderfully um, white middle-aged men to play the judge where there could be a black, white woman playing the judge, whatever. And um, the other thing is play fair campaign, which again is um, looking at all the different discriminating practices that are happening in casting processes and making sure that we are being reflected properly. And also um, to bring your thoughts and things that you want to change within the industry to your local branches. And there's your, there's your forum, if you like, to share what anybody is experiencing in the industry and that's how we can make things change because anything that you want change can then be turned into a motion that then gets voted on by our members and then it becomes policy and the union then does does stuff about it um going back a bit um i was just going to say you obviously haven't been an actor long if you think we've got all the money at 60s in the 60s <laughs> you've obviously not been in the profession for long um <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, it was really refreshing to watch the play this afternoon. Um, I thought it was wonderful uh, writing and um, the cast did a wonderful job. I would just like to see um, older people reflected in a television drama in just as we are. 
I'm also an actress, and we, I go for auditions, and very rarely is the script anything to do with people I know or people like me. Um, as you say, we've got an extra 10 years now. We are baby boomers, and we are young for our age. It, you know, as we remember our grandmothers, we are extremely young, and nowhere does it seem to come out in the writing that we, you know, we, are the, we, we feel the same as we did when we were 30, but we are you go up for roles and, um, you know, actually every uh, actress in their 60s needs a grey wig because they want you to look much older and they want you to act older and their stereotype of, of a grandmother. And um, it's so depressing, really. And this was lovely to see, but this was specifically about age. You know, this was... You know, want to see want to see a role for uh, an older woman as just part of something else, um, reflecting our lives as they are today. And it's, it's very rare. Um, I think if, if, uh, if we'll take one more comment and then we'll do a, a quick wrap up and then whatever else afterwards we can have a, a chat about. It's been very interesting actually because a lot of the women have spoken about their experience and not a lot of the men have. And, the, and, and it's very different for men and the women because the men can, you can all grow old gracefully and delicious with your gray and all the rest of it. But we're up against a massive big machine that says that we have to have Botox and all sorts of things. I was watching um, The Good Wife and I don't know whether you've seen that, um, but in the final season, um, the lead actress, Juliana, um, just looked amazing. I mean, she's and amazing and there was no movement up here none and that's what we're up against as women you know you've got to go in you've got to be really skinny and and you know fixed and all the rest of it and your neck is going to look amazing and then when you have actresses that you really admire um suddenly you know going under the knife and chopping it all off and doing you just think oh god really but that's what we're up against so there is a, a, a huge divide between the men and the women in our industry as well, and what we're under in terms of what we have to look like as an older woman or, you know, put that in. Merica, any, do you want to give your final words of wisdom? Um, okay, yes. Uh, so I think um, what I'd like to conclude by saying is I think uh, just in response to some of the, the discussions on funding, I think um, stories will always be told. Perhaps what we need to start thinking more about, though, is um, finding enough funding for all of the stories that um, need to be told and don't just get told to make money for theatres, but that represent um, everyone. Because I think art's place in society is to help all of the people on the margins uh, help us find empathy and to help society work better. And so it, it needs to move away from from selling things that um, are entertaining and fun and and also like, work. I mean, there's that's there's loads of room for that as well. I very much enjoy all that side, but also to um, create spaces where we can start discussing things like this to find pockets of funding so projects like this can continue and help open eyes uh, for everyone. I think I'm very unoptimistic about <laughs> anything being changed. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm keen, but I'm cynical. Okay. I'm not giving up the game myself. 
I can't see how to do anything about it. I can't, except doing things like Sonia does. Mm. Or, but you know, or you say you're going to write what you're asked to be written. We'll come to you, we'll queue up. But I'm sorry, that's how I feel. I think it's about having these conversations. It's about changing things by having one conversation at a time and having group conversations with movers and shakers and making people think creatively think and not being lazy and not just doing the easy thing and I appreciate within casting um, within the working party that there is um, you know everything is very last minute we all know everything is tremendously last minute so so casting will go to they'll go to the same people possibly or they'll go to the same agents we need to and that's what's happening within the union we need to Shake that all up a bit, and you shake that all up by having conversations, by having meetings and creating working parties and all that, which is happening within the union. So I feel very, I feel very positive that I think things will change, actually. It might take a long bloody time, but I think it will change because I think it's got to be all of us behind it. And I was thinking um, about one of your questions was, who's doing it well? And there was three examples that I had came up with that I didn't see, which I wish I had, and it might still be on. The play called 17, about intergenerational. Did you see it? No. Well, this was this sounded fantastic. It was, part of me sort of went, Ugh, because it was actors in their 70s playing teenagers, which I thought, well, surely we've had that already with um, Blue Remembered Hills. But it was about the fact of the relationship between grandparents and teenagers and all that that might mean and I thought how interesting is that actually that's a bit that's a bit different it's not just niche it's not just a tribal thing and an example of incidental casting that has just happened at the national and it's a start for them and although they were doing it as a bit of a tick box it's still a start um, in Amadeus there was a 60 year old actress who was playing one of the king's aides and it's a trouser part in that there are three men, three characters, all the same, doing the same job. They're all dressed in similar clothes, but one of them is an actress, is a woman. And she's referred to probably just three times as Frau, but that's it. No uh, allusion to her gender, no allusion to her sex in any form. She's just playing that role. So that's an, an example I thought of tremendously good. Um, example of it, but it's still a bit of a, t well, we've done it. We'll see if they do more. We'll see if they do more. And as far as, as other than Sonia, another example of our fantastic writer is Sally Wainwright. We need lots more people like Sally Wainwright, who writes for women and all ages, authentically and truthfully. There is a fantastic. Well, I'd, I'd like to thank um, the panel for their contributions amazing uh, words of wisdom and everybody else for contributing. Um, from my perspective, we feel that it is going to get a lot better. The future is older, um, inevitably so. Not necessarily old, but older. Um, the sheer demographic weight shift of, of, of change is going to make it so that there'll be more older workers, more older actors, more older everything in, in our society, more older leaders, entrepreneurs, start-up. We're going to start to get tech startups who are, who are older. So uh, the, the sheer weight of shift is, is you just can't hold that wave back. So um, we, we are the first movers. 
And that's, that's really it. We're catalyzing it so that it, it works out in the right way and it looks, has, takes the, the right shape. Um, and I welcome your, uh, your comments about um, stories and narrative and, and keeping the conversations going. Uh, and that is, it's exactly what I want to start doing with, with Sonia after this, uh, start figuring out what sort of forum we can create. So um, thank you very much. And uh, congratulations again to Sonia and, uh, and all the actors who participated. That is the end of another Visible podcast. If you have made it this far, then I hope you have been able to extract some learnings from the session to build on future conversations. I'm off today to join a similar session hosted by Devoted and Disgruntled at the National Theatre Studio titled Old Actors, How Can We Play Our Part? Which I hope to dialogue in some way with, with this one. So stay tuned for a potential part two, which may come about through this upcoming experience. Bye for now.